Let's go ahead. We're picking up now. We're on week three in our uh, Shut the Front Door series. This is things that we are doing which allows the devil access into our lives. So first week we talked about, we kind of broke down how temptation works. Uh, it's kind of the creepiest sermon I've ever preached. Um, a lot of Alfred Hitchcock in that. So uh, if you care to, you can catch that online. Uh, some people actually asked me about the Alfred Hitchcock uh, thing that I was cutting up and using as clips. I have that if anybody wants it. You can uh, watch the whole thing. Um, but anyway, so that was how we started out. And then we uh, last week talked about coveting, which is not the same thing as lust. It's uh, actually a broader broader topic than that. So we talked about that last week. This week, we're going to talk about um, another way that the devil gets access into our lives, and that is getting angry. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. I know a lot of people like that. Not green, but I know a lot of people who seem to be always angry. And uh, the question, I guess, that, that I'm going to start with, and, and we did a whole series on this a couple of years ago, some of you may remember, but is anger a sin? I was always under the impression that it was growing up as a good Presbyterian. I believed that anger was a sin. And now, I wasn't raised Catholic, but I thought, if I would have guessed, that anger was actually in the seven deadly sins. Um, it's not actually. Wrath is, but it's not. It uh, doesn't matter. The reason I thought anger was a sin, for sure, was because of this passage. And they taught this to us at a very young age in Bible school, or not Bible school, um, Sunday school. And uh, this verse here, and this is Jesus talking, so you've got to take it seriously. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. Well, that's the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, right? And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment, the judgment being sent to hell. And, uh, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. And I remember when I was a little kid in Sunday school hearing that, and I thought, man, that's true. If you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of hell, and you're like a murderer. I had three brothers, y'all. I mean, it was like I was a mass murderer at a very young age. <laughs> I mean, look at this face. But, the, but that, was, uh, that was, I thought, man, I must, I'm killing people left and right here. I have three brothers. I'm mad at several of them a day. You know, it's, it's always mad. I love this picture, by the way, because it looks like my dad and I are having a conversation. Like he's saying, Mark, sit down. Stop fidgeting. And I'm saying, why do I have to wear the word red jacket? You know, but uh, anyway. But that was kind of where I grew up. And I thought, man, I must be sitting all the time. This must, every time I'm angry with my brother. Uh, and we're going to go back to that verse for Jesus because it's not exactly what he says there, but that's how I was taught it. But here's the thing. Jesus was without sin, and we know that. That was something else that we were taught. And later in my you know, Sunday school uh, academy course, uh, I, we ran into this scripture, and I thought, well, wait a minute. Because this, this is, shows up in a couple of the Gospels. This is Mark, uh, Mark's version, Mark 11. They came to Jerusalem, and he, that's Jesus, entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling the doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And now this kind of, you know, the way it says there, it almost sounds peaceful, you know, <laughs> like he's just something, okay, okay, stand up, stand up, exit here, 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 and here, you know, but that's not really how this happened. This term to drive out would be like the same thing as a cattle drive. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but those aren't, you know, those aren't always gentle. And uh, one of the other ones says he picked up some, some, some uh, ropes that were there and used those to drive them out. So Jesus got angry here. There's no question he got angry. In fact, he was very angry. He picked it up, and he was slamming this and driving them out of the temple, and he's overturning the tables. He wouldn't let anybody carry any merchandise through there. 
Now what's going on there is that people had to bring the best of their offering to the church. And so you had to like bring a dove. It depends on where you were. You know, like priests had to use bulls or, or lambs if they're doing it for family. There was a bunch of different transactions you had to do, but you had to bring the best, the first and the best. And what was happening is there were people sitting there saying, oh, that one's not good enough for your sins. Here, give it to me and, you know, 25 shekels, and you can have this dove. It's better. And then they would take that, and they put it down. The next person would come in, they'd sell that one to them. And they were actually doing this, and, and so they were making money, uh, making people feel more sinful. And so that's what Jesus got very, very upset about. He says, you know, you cannot do that. Uh, and if he says, you've turned this whole thing into a den of thieves. You're stealing money off the people in my temple. That's not going to be allowed. I don't know how Jesus would feel about Monte Carlo night at a church, but uh, that's a different story. Anyway, but he definitely got angry. And I thought, well, wait a minute. If Jesus is allowed to get angry and I want to be like Jesus, shouldn't I be trying to get angry? You know, it seems to me I should try to be angry. And the the Sunday school teacher said, well, that was a righteous anger. I said, well, some of mine feel pretty righteous too, I got to tell you, you know. And uh, one thing was funny because my teacher didn't really know how to answer me, and I was studying and preparing this, and it was like God, like, tapped me on the shoulder and said, by the way, there's something you have to remember about what Jesus did there. After he was done doing that, every person he drove out, he would die for. And I would say just as a general rule, if you're willing to get angry at somebody and then die for them, that's okay. You know, I don't know how many of us want to follow Jesus that far. You know, we always want to be like Jesus to a point. Uh, but you know, every one of them he was driving out angry with that moment. Uh, he was doing knowing he would later die for them. So let's take that one off the table. But the point is, Jesus was angry. There's no question he was angry about what was going on, and he did something about it. Uh, so, and if you wonder, is anger a sin? It certainly is not. We see this later in Ephesians. Paul's actually referencing an Old Testament scripture here, but he says something interesting. He says, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with the neighbor, for we are members of one body. Now listen, be angry and do not sin. He separates those. So you can be angry without sinning. And that's kind of the trick because anger is something that God gave us. It's an emotion. It's emotion God gave us. God gets angry. Jesus got angry. That in and of itself is not sin, but it can become sin. And I got to tell you, almost everything we're going to talk about this entire series, there's a point, a tipping point where it becomes sin. I I talked to a lot of people after last week's sermon, you know, about coveting. And people say, man, I can't want anything anymore. I'm afraid, you know, to to have any desires at all because I'm afraid it's going to be coveting. Desire itself is not coveting. It becomes coveting when it begins to drive you. Whenever we're starting to look at what we want and comparing to what God's given us and telling God that's not enough, I must have that. Whenever we are planning our whole days around achieving that, then we've let it become the center of our life. And it has moved from simple desiring something, which might be wholesome and good, into something, coveting something. You know, if I'm walking around with shoes with holes in them and I desire to have shoes that don't have holes in them, there's nothing wrong with that. If I steal somebody's shoes to fulfill that desire, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit further there. But if I'm throwing off perfectly good shoes because they're out of fashion, I have to have those and I'm going to steal money or whatever in order to get them, now I'm into coveting, right? So that's the, but that's true of everything. It's true of anger. That's true of almost everything in your life, right? Food and eating food is not sinful. Victoria, that's probably good news for you. Um, it's not sinful. But if you live for food, it becomes sinful. And gluttony certainly is sinful, right? So, so you have this moment uh, where you can cross over a line. It starts out okay, but then we can go too far. God gives us many good things in life, 
and they are good, but we can take them all too far and we cross lines. And so we have to be, you know, rest is not bad. Rest is good. Being lazy is bad. We can cross over lines and everything. God gave us sex. Sex is good. Sex with the wrong person, bad. We can cross over lines is the point. And so, you know, this is true of everything and this includes anger. Angry is okay, but we can cross over in anger and make it sin. But the really dangerous thing here is the last part of what Paul says is don't do that. In fact, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. How many of you ever heard that? That's like a, something to teach couples in marriage class, right? Do not go to bed angry. Boy, Victoria and I would be staying up a long time sometimes. You know, I was like, oh, you know, the guy would stay awake. You know, then he gets getting more angry. But the point is what, they're trying to, what he's trying to say here is if you let anger fester, then you give a place to the devil. And some translations will say foothold to the devil. It's like you got that front door open and he stuck his foot in there when you try to shut it. And you have given him an easy access into your life because you have now let anger become sin. And so that's the trick. How uh, do we avoid allowing anger to become sin? I'm going to uh, take a look at a scripture that Jesus gives us. And we're going to come back to this one again too. Uh, but he's talking a little bit about how the heart works here. And I want to show this to you. Um, he says, he called the multitude to, to him. He says, look, hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. The things which come out of him, those are the things that will defile a man. So it's like, he's, everybody has to get this. And then the multitude leads. And his, I love when his disciples do this. They go, we don't understand that. Because they understand, now the Jews, they were taught that there were things that defiled you. You couldn't eat pork, for example. You know, you couldn't eat uh, blood sacrifices. There are a lot of things you couldn't eat. It would make you unclean. And Jesus is saying, you don't get it. That's not what's making you unclean. What's making you unclean is what's coming out of you. And they're saying, well, that doesn't make sense. Can you explain it? So they ask him, is it, you don't understand this? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart? It goes in his stomach. And that gets eliminated. I don't care about that, he says. Comes in, goes out. That isn't what is making things bad for you. He said, what comes out of you, that's what defiles a man. For It comes from within. It comes out of the heart of men. And from that proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an envious eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. That's the problem, he says. It's what's in your heart. And that's why anger is dangerous, because it gets there fast. You almost think of it as disease, you know, when it settles in the heart, you're really in trouble. And it's true. I mean, if you get heart disease, you're really in trouble. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, when you allow these sins to enter into your heart, you are really, really in trouble. So how do we break that up? Well, first of all, let me just come back for a moment and talk about anger. What is anger and what's the purpose of it? If God gave it to us, there's a purpose for everything. I don't know what the purpose of stink bugs are, but there must be a purpose because God gave them to us. Maybe it's a curse. I don't know. But uh, there's a, everything God gives us has a purpose. If he gave us anger, it's part of the emotions in our, in our arsenal, that means there's a purpose for it. So let me break down anger from a scientific standpoint for a moment. Some of you love when I do this. Some of you hate it. Uh, just stick with me. It won't be long. But I want to talk about what happens to us physically and emotionally when we get angry because I think it might help us understand where that breaking point is. Okay, so according to the Boston Medical Journal, when you become angry, your body's muscles tense up. Inside your brain, neurotransmitter chemicals are released, causing you to experience a burst of energy. It can last up to several minutes. This burst of energy is behind the common angry desire to take immediate action. When you get angry, you want to do something. 
right? Something has physically happened to you. It's physical. It's, it, anger is an emotion, but it triggers a physical response. And so it goes on. It says, at the same time your heart rate accelerates, your blood pressure rises, and the rate of your breathing increases. Your tension narrows and becomes locked on the target of your anger, okay? A couple other interesting things happen when you get angry. I don't know if you know this. Your body starts shutting down unnecessary functions, such as healing. Like they've actually measured that your fingernails and hair do not grow while you're angry. Well, what do you need fingernails for, right? You're, if you have scars or it's healing, it'll stop that process because it's channeling everything into this moment. Anger starts as a defensive action, and it, but, it, but they're preparing for an offensive outburst from that. So physically, your body starts changing, and you start really getting very focused. I don't know if some of you have been through these kind of angry moments where the blood's rushing, you can't hear anything. That's because it doesn't think you need to hear anything. Your eyes are now all the attention, right? And so this whole thing is focusing on this thing that's presented danger to you in front of you. That's, the, um, that's a physical response to what happens when you're angry. The emotionally the emotional response is not just defense. It's preparing you for the attack, the counterattack, basically. So uh, according to Psychology Today article, virtually all angry sentiments reflect the viewpoint that what someone else said or did was wrong, unjust, or in some way abusive. So in other words, when the anger starts flooding, it's not just I'm angry, I'm angry because somebody was wrong. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why all of a sudden, psychologically, you've changed. You're not reasonable when you're angry. Have you noticed that? Have you tried to talk to somebody who's being angry? They're not reasonable anymore. You can't reason with them because what's happened is they're thinking you're wrong. The anger is actually reducing their ability to think and, and, and logic through things. Of all the emotions, anger is undoubtedly the most judgmental. It's also the most moralistic and self-righteous. When you're angry, they're wrong, you're right. That's actually physically switching over in, in your psychology. Why? Because anger was built to, to, first of all, set up a defense and then a counterattack if you need it. If an animal's attacking you, this is not the time to think it's a fuzzy little cute thing, right? This is the time to think you need to kill it before it kills you, right? And so the, the reason why your mind stops thinking in other terms is because you may have to do something out of self-preservation that ordinarily you might find a little bit queasy and make you a little bit squeamish. And so it shuts that down so you can do what you need to do to, uh, to deal with the situation in front of you. Now, very few of us, there are some people in this room, but very few of us have actually faced actual life or death situations. Some of, some of you I know have. And that moment, you, ha you know, you have to act. You can't be thinking, right? You, can't, uh, you, you have to really act. And you can't, be you can't be empathetic at all at that point. So your body actually triggers an emotion. And the psychology also triggers it. And you think, man, they're wrong. I'm right. Here we go. Okay. So um, it is designed to respond to a situation not to a person. Anger is given to you by God to help you in an event, not help you against a person. And that's something I think that we need to understand that Jesus was able to do that we have a very difficult time doing, which is why his was a righteous anger. Because I skipped over a verse back here, but let me come back. Right after he throws everybody out of the temple, the very next verse is, and then he began to teach. Once he got the people out, he sat everybody else down and said, I need you to understand what I'm doing here. He was angry at the event, not the people. His, his anger was used appropriately, and then he let it go. 
Now, when you are angry, you are more powerful. That's been measured. You are actually stronger at that moment. The adrenaline's flowing through you. There's all kind of stories about people doing amazing things under an adrenaline rush. And maybe some of you experienced that yourself. You've done something under adrenaline that you couldn't have done ordinarily. But here's what happens. Where, what, where does this whole thing go wrong? Well, what goes wrong is when we forget that it was designed to respond to an event and we make it not situational but personal. We have crossed a line now and now we're taking that anger out at that person. So where did all this go wrong? Because I get angry for a lot of things that aren't life-threatening. I just have to admit that. If I am standing, and I've said this before, in the Walmart line that has 20 items or less, and the person in front of me has 35, I get angry. I'm not a threatened for anything, right? I mean, there's nothing there. That I'm just like, okay, I'm going to die. If I, no, it's not like that. You know, I think I'm going to die sometimes, but I'm not. It's, you know, and I sometimes get angry and wonder, why am I even angry about this? This, isn't a, you know, this is not life-threatening in any way, shape, or form. If you think about many of the things, most of the things you get angry about, none of them are really threatening to you. Why are we getting angry about things that anger wasn't designed to give us? Well, what's happened is your body and your brain has been rewired over time. And Satan's very good at this. Because what Satan wants to do almost always, almost all these you'll see, he's going to try to give you the temporary and take away the permanent. He's good at that. He's really good. Almost all the temptations are temporary, but you have to give up something permanent. We talked about this in the first week of this series. And that's what's happening in anger because it gives you a temporary boost. If you were feeling helpless before, when you're angry, you don't feel helpless anymore, do you? You kind of feel like, I got this. You start feeling right. You might feel, uh, I didn't know before, but now that I'm angry, I think I'm right. And so it's temporary, though, because you aren't. It's almost like a sugar rush. You know, if you're, if you're, feeling, if you're feeling a little low on energy, eat a, eat a candy bar. You'll get a kick. Right? Everybody knows that. They, in in, in uh, emergency packs, they carry chocolate bars. So that if you, have something, you can find somebody who's like fatigue and, and you need to get them up, give them a candy bar. It gives them a burst of energy. Does that mean they're no longer tired? No, it just means they have a burst of energy. What happens after that? Sugar crash. After sugar rush comes sugar crash. When anger leaves your body, it's an anger crash. Things aren't better now. They're probably worse because you probably were wrong and you didn't know it. Right? And, so, and so what's happened is somewhere in our lives, very young usually, we had a moment of feeling helpless and we responded to it in anger and it worked. You know, it might be your parents trying to force you to do something, you threw a tantrum. And they backed off and let you go. And well, oh, that worked. And you remember that. And so what happens over time is we slowly start reprogramming our mind. Well, I don't have to just use this in case of defense. I can use it any time that I feel a little bit put upon, right? And so pretty soon I start feeling helpless. And I'm feeling helpless in my life. And I start using anger to get me out of it. And we become addicted to anger. And I know many, many people who are addicted to anger. But let me, let me take us back for just a second. I'm going to get back into that. But let me take it back for a second. Let me give you an example of anger. And let me, let me give you an example of, because what it does, it gives you power, right? Is there anything wrong with the power? No, the power was given to you for a purpose. Now, let me take our police officers. They have guns in this country. Why? Well, because it gives them power that they might need in a life or death situation. And we know that. And, and this is something that we think is a, a positive thing because, you know, if, I, if I'm having my life threatened and a police officer arrives, I don't want him sending me warm wishes, right? I want him stepping into the situation. And if there's three of them, and there's only one of him, you know, he needs some level of strength that can take down three people. And that's why he carries 
a weapon. You know, the old saying, God created man, Colt made him equal. So, you know, this idea that, that, that our police officer has that, that power is a good thing because he's trying to go into situations where he's going to need that. And we, we all agree that's a good thing, but what if the police abuse the power? Or what if the police use the power indiscriminately? Like this guy, if you remember him. If you don't know how to handle one of these things, you got no business carrying one. That's a good way to not be a police officer after a while, right? So they start to indiscriminately use this as like throwing it around. It's like, oh my gosh, that person should not have that power. So are you the Barney Fife of anger? Are you throwing your power around like Barney Fife throws around a weapon? You know, anytime you want to feel powerful, you whip it out and you gear yourself up and you start using that anger. But here's a really dangerous thing. You're almost always using on somebody close to you. You almost always use that anger because you're feeling a little bit put down. You're feeling a little bit out of control, so you hype up that anger. And here's the thing that I find interesting because you know, I've been, been a pastor for more than a day now, and I've counseled a lot of people. And I've counseled a lot of people who have anger issues. And the f- I, should say, I shouldn't say funny. The, the, the horrible thing, maybe, about it is even as they're telling me they have anger issues, kind of proud of it you know it's really really interesting to me because if, if i'm counseling somebody and they have a, a, a alcoholic problem you know i'm, I'm a drunk I, I got beat to alcohol i'm really in trouble and they're telling me the stories about how the alcohol has played out in their lives they're not bragging about the time that they threw up in the bathroom and fell asleep in their own vomit they don't ever brag about that they're ashamed of it right if if i'm talking to a drug addict which i've talked to some of them and and they've had to get a fix and they've stolen money out of their mother's purse in order to go do it they're not bragging about that they're looking downcast they're ashamed and they, they almost don't want to tell me some of these stories but man the people who are addicted to anger love telling me their anger stories they're a little proud of it Boy, this time that person came on me and I got angry and they backed down. They were afraid of me. And there's a little pride there, right? And I got to tell you something. If, if you're wondering about why anger has a control of you, some of it's like we don't want to let go of it. We like the feeling of power it gives us. You will never be able to repent from something you're proud of, just so you know. If you feel pride about this area of your life, you're never going to be able to repent from it, ever. The other thing that's a problem with anger the thing is really seductive about it was when you're in it, you think you're right. That's the other thing that people who are angry usually tell me. Well, yeah, I was angry, but I was right. My, rank, my anger was justified. Well, your anger makes you think you're justified always. And so if you're listening to what you heard during a fit of anger, you have to understand the psychological you know, process of anger makes you think you're right. So now you say, well, I was right. Well, of course you think you're right. You're angry. That's what anger does. And so once it gets its foothold in our lives... The devil can use it to drive you constantly. I know people driven from one anger high to another anger high. They live their day. In fact, if they're feeling a little bit down, they will find something to ramp themselves up because it makes them feel powerful. I'm out of control. Let me get angry. I feel in control. It's an illusion, but it's feeling control. So now I want to get back to something Jesus said. Right at the very beginning of the sermon, I was talking about how Mark, little Marky, uh, was a mass murderer. Uh, he actually was a little more specific in what he said that day than what we can translate today. It's kind of weird because um, it seems like every word we have that Jesus used, we translate fool. But he actually gives us three different levels. I want to break that down. I was in Russia 
once, and I had a translator there who was pretty good, but some of the English wasn't so good. We were in a restaurant once, and the entire menu was in Russian. So I said, well, what's this? And she says, well, that's, and she reaches for the word. She, that's a meat dish. Okay, okay. What's this? That's a meat dish. What's that? That's a meat dish. I guess I'll have a meat dish. You know, it's like we don't have anything. It's too bad she didn't know pork, chicken, and beef. That would have been helpful, but she didn't have those three words. All she had was meat, and everybody's looking at Victoria. It wasn't her. Uh, she's Ukrainian. That was Ukraine. This was Russia. But my point is that we don't really have the words, and I find it interesting that Greek has all kinds of words for fools. I think they were a little bit better at defining fools than we are. You know, we, we go into obscenities after we get out of the fool. We, have, we add things uh, to the obscenity. But anyway, what Jesus actually does is he uses three different levels of fool. And I want to show you this because it really does make a difference in what he's telling us. So let's go back to this. You've heard it said that those of old, those shall not murder. Or whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Okay, oh, wow. So if my brother makes me angry, I'm allowed to be angry at him. What Jesus is saying is you're no longer angry at the event, you're angry at the person. That's what he's saying. Anger is okay for the event, but you're no longer angry about the event. You're just mad at your brother. You don't have a reason. You're just angry with them. That means you're carrying over something and you're just angry with them. So that's the first level of anger that becomes sinful. And he warns us about this. You're not angry at the event. They didn't do anything. You're angry at them. Why? You've carried it over. You're just angry with them. You're just mad at them. And, you know, I have three brothers. I understand that. But we need to understand that's where sin begins. Because we don't really have a reason. I'm just angry. I'm mad at them. I'm still harboring resentment. The devil has a foothold in my life. We've got to learn how to shut these footholds down. Okay, so that's the first thing he says. He says, without cause. Okay, then he says... Whoever says to his brother, Rachah, shall be in danger of the council. Okay, what does that word mean? That means senseless fool. Okay? That means you're a fool because you did something stupid, but you have no understanding of it. Let me put this another way. You're wrong and it's all your fault. That's what he's saying. You're angry with your brother. You're wrong. It is all your fault. You're senseless. You don't even understand how much of a fault it is. You're just, you just, you're angry with them for that. He says, you're now in danger of the council. That'd be like a church coming and having an intervention in your life. You know, that's like, oh, wait a minute now. You're, you're angry with them and you've put everything on them. So first I'm angry with them at cause. And now I'm angry at them and they don't even know why. But that's because you're stupid. And I'm angry at, you, angry at you and it's all your fault. My anger is directed at you. It's righteous anger. You're entirely wrong, okay? And then whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. And again, unfortunately, we translate this as you, you fool. This phrase that is used here in Greek actually has a lot of connotations besides empty-headed fool. He, it does mean that too. But it also goes into a foolishness that translates into infidel or... Uh, I'm going to translate this, and I know this is going to upset some of you people, but I, 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 and I'm not saying you're wrong for being upset about it. Give me a moment to explain it, because uh, I know I upset people when I do this. What this word really means, this phrase really means, is goddamn fool. Now, I know some of you think I just used God's name in vain. No, I didn't. That's not his name. That's his title, first of all. Second of all, I didn't use it in vain, because it's literally what it means. You have done something so foolish, you're going to hell for it. It's a literal translation of what it means. Because this means that you're, you're now like kicked out of the good graces. You're an infidel. 
in, in some religions, right? So that's what this level is. Because now we're saying this. These are three levels. I'm mad at you just because you are. Level one. Level two, I'm mad at you and it's all your fault. Level three is I'm mad at you and there is no coming back from it. It's irredeemable. I will hate you forever. See the levels? So at first as we cross over the line because we're mad at the person, not the event. Then we're like, we're mad at them and it's all their fault. And then the last level is it's never going to not be your fault. There's no coming back from this. You're dead to me. That's that third level. And so what he's telling us is he's saying that we have this anger that starts driving us deeper down the path to hell. Because if left unchecked, that's where the anger goes. Because eventually they become irredeemable in our eyes because, hey, we've been angry at you and you're not, you're not doing anything about it. And what Jesus is saying is you understand that's your heart that's the problem, not them. This is in your heart. The cancer's rotting away your heart. Have you ever seen a heartworm? Does anybody know what heartworm is? It's a, it's a disease dog gets, dogs get, some of you dog lovers. Have you, ever, have you ever gone to a vet and had them have a picture of a heartworm? It's disgusting. You know, basically this worm grows in the heart and keeps growing until the dog dies. It's really, <laughs> look it up. I should put a picture up here, gross you all out before Mother's Day lunch. That would have been great. Um, but the idea is that that's what, that's what Jesus said. It's almost like a heartworm gets in here and it just keeps eating away at your heart. And you're going to have not have the capacity anymore to love that person or other people or God because it's simply eating away at your heart. This is a deep, deep level. And it, if you keep letting it go unchecked, and this is what Paul was saying, he's saying you can't, you can't let the devil have a foothold. When the devil gets a foothold, he's going to keep going. And every time you let the anger drive you, you're, driving that, you're just feeding the worm that's eating outside of your heart. That's what's happening. So how do we get it to stop? How do we stop? How do we kill the worm? Uh, Number one is we have to understand anger when it crosses that line is sinful and we need to repent. And what we need to do is ask God to show us what our anger looks like in other people's eyes. Because here's the other truth. When I'm talking to these people who have anger issues, especially if I said marital counseling, and some guy has anger issues, and he's kind of a little proud of it, his wife isn't. His wife is tired of it. It has ruined their relationship. She no longer feels comfortable near him because of his anger issues. So if somehow he could see what his anger looks through her eyes, it would probably help him understand why it's sinful and it needs to go. And I say he and she, it could be be flipped the other way around, but it seems like guys sometimes like to use their anger. You know, boy, I got so angry, I punched a hole in the wall. Like that's a good thing. So now you're angry, you have a hole in the wall you got to repair, and oh, by the way, being angry does not protect your knuckles. Better go get that looked at. You know, it's like we sometimes get so proud of our anger, guys, because it makes us feel powerful, even though maybe we aren't. So we have to recognize, first of all, it's a sin. If we don't recognize a sin, you're never going to be able to repent from it. Uh, second of all, the, to, here's how you, that's how you stop the first level. Here's how you stop the second level. Uh, you have to recognize your part. Because if you're angry at somebody, it's probably not all their fault. In fact, you can be angry at somebody, and some of us know this. We can be angry, and we weren't ever really angry at them at all. We were feeling powerless from something else that was going on in our lives. And we used this moment to give our anger a boost so we felt not powerless. Listen, the right response at that moment is to turn to God before the anger. 
If you're feeling powerless and put down at work and you f- or, or in your life and you feel I'm out of control, the right response isn't looking for some way I can get angry so I can feel better about it briefly. The real response is to turn to God. God, why am I feeling this way? Help me with this. Give me your peace. You know, drive out the fear with your peace. Anger will temporarily remove the fear, but the fear will be right back when the anger passes. So we need, to, we need to let God handle it. That's the right response. And if we're carrying that into our relationships with the people around us or work, wherever, and we're using that as a way to amp up our anger just so we feel better, we have to recognize we're sinful, not them. We are. And we need to repent for our part in this outburst. Okay, so um, let me give you some scriptures. On the first one uh, in Acts, he says, uh, Therefore, repent, return to the Lord, so your sins may be wiped away in order that in times of renewal will come for the presence of the Lord. We need to repent. We need to understand that we need to repent. And recognizing anger uh, in Psalm 44, he says this, Know that the Lord has set apart for himself to him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Why? Uh, he will hear me because he set me apart. Be angry and do not sin. Paul's quoting Psalm 4. Meditate within your heart, on your bed, and be still. What he's saying is, I'm angry, and I'm going to go back and say, why well, am I angry? I'm going to be still. I'm not going to take it out on somebody. I'm going to meditate, which is praying to God, in my heart, check me, Lord, how can I get rid of this? What's on me? See, if we start putting it all on them, we'll never do this. But the psalmist says, here's how you're angry and you do not sin. When you get angry, you don't take it too far. You don't take it on them. You back off and say, God, why am I even angry here? Have you ever been angry and not known why? Because I have. I've had an outburst sometimes and I thought, I don't even know why I did that. I have no idea. There's something else going on in your life. The response is not to lash out at somebody close to you and escalate that fight. The response is, I need to go figure out, pray God, why am I angry? Show me what's going on because there's something else going on in our lives. If we don't have that kind of reflection, then we're going to pass right through that second level and on to the third. Okay. And um, the third one is, of course, here's how you stop it. You forgive them. You say, oh, you've done this to me and I'm angry with you. It's irredeemable. No, it's not. You know why? Because I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, forgiveness is a choice and it's not always easy. I, you need to know that. Forgiveness is a choice and it's not always easy. You might have to keep forgiving them. You might have to tell God, you know what? I forgave him, but I don't feel like I forgave him. Help me with this. God will give you the grace you need. But if we don't start dealing with the anger in our lives... It's going to continually run our life. Now, we know this. It says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. This is Jesus talking. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That verse gets left out of a lot of people's Bible. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord's Prayer. Jesus is continually saying this. There's a whole parable about this. He's saying, look, I'm forgiving you, and you need to forgive others. Oh, but God, he's a stupid idiot. Why should I forgive him? Okay, first of all, repent for calling him a stupid idiot, and then forgive him. Because if you don't forgive, I can't forgive. No, he won't. I can't. there's There's a rule here. He's saying, I'm forgiving you, so you'll forgive others. Stop telling me why your righteous anger doesn't need to be forgiven. And stop telling God why why I'm entitled to my anger. No, you're not. If Jesus wasn't entitled on his anger, you're not entitled to yours. 
Jesus knew that I'm angry at the event and not the people, even though the people caused the event. He threw them out of the temple correctly, but then he died for them. He did not hate them. He forgave them. In order to let the devil stay out of our lives, we have to learn to forgive. We are holding this in, and it just gives him access, and he just keeps programming us to go angry. If you get mad, you feel powerless, just go angry. You'll feel better. It'll be better if you get angry. You know it will. You'll feel better after you blow up because you'll feel righteous. And all he's doing is teaching you to be angry. You're hurting the people around you, and you're letting the devil just drive you. Here's the other thing we have to realize. The thief is the devil. And he's coming to steal. He's, tra- he's taking away from you what's permanent, your relationship with God, and he's replacing with something temporary, in this case, anger. Oh, you don't need to have peace of God. Here, have anger instead. It's better. You'll feel good about it. Right? He's always making that trade with us. And Jesus warns us, says, look, uh, everybody comes before me, you're thieves. The thief comes only for this purpose, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And we say, yeah, but I'm entitled to my anger. I'm entitled. Well, understand that if you feel you're entitled to anger, you're leaving the door open to the devil. You've given him a foothold in your life. His, fo- his foot's in the front door, and he can walk in whenever he wants. And he will all the time. He'll ruin your relationships. He'll ruin your, your times at work. He's really good at using anger to ruin lives. Very, very good. If we keep letting the thief in the front door, we need to stop complaining when things get stolen. Right? If you let a thief in the front door and you have all kinds of stuff go missing, guess why? Because you let the thief in the front door. So if your life is fi- you find your life getting stolen from you bit by pit, it's because you keep letting the thief be there. He's ruined your marriages. He's ruined your families. He's ruined your lives. It's time to get him out. Would you all please pray with me?